Hi, everybody. This is Emily Trenum, the host of Memphis Metropolis. I'm away from the microphone this week, so we're rebroadcasting one of my favorite episodes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host. And this week, I've got a a longtime partner in crime, um, Rusty Bloodworth. Hope you don't mind me calling you that, Rusty. Uh, I, I think I know why. <laughs> um, Rusty is in the commercial real estate arena. He works for Boyle company and we have um known each other for quite a while and worked together and on some on some initiatives over the years but i recently saw that um rusty you were celebrating 54 years of being at boyle which kind of blew my mind because uh you must have been a child when you started working there but in any event i just got thinking you know i have had a couple of shows where people were you know people were at uh, transitional careers. They reflected, you know, Tom Bailey was on, Josh Whitehead was on recently, kind of in that context, since he's moved from the public to the private sector. And you've had such a long and interesting career. I thought this would be a great time to hear, just to have a conversation about what you've seen and learned and uh, how Memphis, you know, land use in Memphis has changed and all of that. So with that very long introduction, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. So, um, so Rusty, in the you know planning world and probably in community development, you know people know the Boyle name. I feel like it's sort of a, a household name in Memphis. But having said that, I don't necessarily think that everyone that listens to Memphis Metropolis really is familiar with Boyle. So I'm sure they've seen the signs. But um, can you just t- and, and also, Boyle's been around forever. It has a very interesting history. So can you just tell us what Boyle is, um, what it does, and then some of the, you know, some of the projects in Memphis that's been associated with over the years that people would know that have been really helped shape the community? Well, it's, uh, we're in our 89th year. Uh, so it's been around a long time. And in the real estate industry, that doesn't always happen. It means that we started in 1933. I was not yet born, but uh, we started in 1933. And the boil, there was uh, some folks that had been in the real estate business, uh, actually had developed Belvedere, I think, in 1908. And uh, which is people consider one of the most beautiful streets in Memphis. Well, it's it's been it's been an important icon for me because it really uh, is one of those few spots that has uh, been able to retain over a hundred year span its vibrancy. I mean, it it really has. It's still just a wonderful street, 
and I measured it uh, years and years ago to figure out how far apart the curbs were and how big the median was and all of those kinds of things that make up some of the reason that a, a place is kind of a wonderful place. Uh, it had great trees on it. Of course, they're very, a lot of them are gone because of uh, storm damage, but you know, it's just, it's been a wonderful street. So they, uh, the company is what I would call a multifaceted uh, real estate development, investment, insurance, uh, and uh, manager of real estate and, and brokerage. So it's, it's really the whole nine yards we've got about 130 employees, 100 almost of which are in Memphis, and we've got an office uh, in Nashville with 34 terrific folks up there. So it, it's, uh, it's big, and it has done, when you look back historically, uh, some of the, I think, little neighborhoods that lasted well, aside from Belvedere, one of my favorites is over on park um and i actually can't even remember the name of it but it's where robin hood sherwood forest probably was the technical name and if if you look at that as just an example of uh, neighborhood development craft for single family homes it it has the mark of uh long ago somebody making a decision to work with the terrain and not cut down all the trees. And they built very uh, modest houses, but they all had a great deal of character and control. And that, uh, you know, I think is sort of, we tried to continue that for the 54 years I've been here. Um, it's been a goal to see if we can't make places that don't grow obsolete very quickly. And unfortunately, um, there a huge amount of Memphis was developed by folks who were really cranking out um, very um, unthoughtful uh, neighborhoods. And of course, that leaves behind if you go 50 years or 75 years, you, it's, it's not easy to make those neighborhoods uh, revive. So did Boyle develop that Sherwood Forest area? Yeah, it did just the, what, what, what Sherwood Forest is. It's on the south side of Park there right before you get to Highland. Yeah, I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, you know, I associate, I guess, I guess I associate Boyle with and of course, you do a lot of things that I don't know about, but with, um, you know, bigger, more self-contained developments like, you know, the Ridgeway, the Ridgeway area. Right. It's, I call I call it Ridgeway Loop, but is there an official development name it, for? It's called Ridgeway Center. Okay. Uh, I guess formally. Okay. I guess I don't... Um, at what point did you did I mean, and maybe this is when the firm got started really officially. At what point did you get out of um, 
you know, the creation of those kind of neighborhoods like or or do you still do that? And I'm just not aware of it. We, we do still do it. And actually, over my tenure, that's probably been the favorite thing that I've I've worked on. I love little neighborhoods and we've done um, a lot of them. They both, you know, basically, I think one thing you could say related to Boyle's strategy, investment strategy, has been to go to be on the fringe in a sense. Uh, we are now in an era where we are back in the middle, particularly in Nashville. We've just, we're not complete with an immense downtown project that that is probably more dense. I can't think of anything as dense here in the Memphis area, um, but that is, uh, over the years, we've basically sort of been out on the fringe uh, in trying to invent uh, new communities. And my, my background back in the 60s, my, I just got caught while I was in college with a turned on to what I would call new community development. And I was at, at the time at the University of Virginia and uh, drove up to see Reston, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C., and then uh, up to Columbia, Maryland, where James Rouse was developing. And I went so, off so, to... Yes, so tell yeah. people why those are so, why those are so important well, in the planning arena. Because they people, were, you know, they were what I would call large-scale, multi-use communities that were meant to be fairly, uh, fully functional in, in many different types. And uh, Ridgeway Center is a bit of that. But uh, in any event, I, I was totally focused on new communities, came back to Memphis, did not intend to work here, intended to work in uh, Baltimore, but was about to get drafted. And so I had to go into the military and um, in that prop. But right before I went on a fellowship and lived in Sweden in Valenby, which is one that was the first new community that the socialist government there had created and uh, studied new communities all over Europe. So I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a place where people lived and could walk and have their dogs and bike and do all those things. But when I came back here, um, that, that sort of but it had to be played out in terms of when I was very young in doing little neighborhoods. So I would do, you know, a very small neighborhood of 30 homes. Uh, some of them were in the River Oaks area. I did the gardens of River Oaks, Blue Heron, uh, the Cloisters, Green Shadows, little bitty neighborhoods. And I loved doing them. And they were, you know, they were really tightly tied to the landscape, to the terrain. And uh, anyway, that that kind of so that went on. But what happened is we we uh, Byard Boyle Jr. had taken over 
uh, the leadership of the company and a wonderful mentor of mine named Ed Sappensley. And they, they had acquired Bridgeway Golf Course. It was a country club here. And that was my first really big project. And so it, that was so that was a that was a golf course. That was that had been a golf course, and, and okay, you know, you had the intersection of I uh, I two forty and Poplar, and and it was a fabulous location from a real estate standpoint. So um, yeah, that that I was when I got here when I moved here in the early nineties. That all that development, well, not all of it, mm-hmm. but. Um, some of it was in place, you know, where your headquarters are and mm-hmm. some of those, um, you know, the movie theater. Sure. Not not the sort of, you know, Sedgwick and those some of those newer buildings came in later. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't realize that was a golf course. And I guess so what happened, I guess, was Ridgeway Golf Course moved because that still exists. That's exactly. Exactly they moved, right. They moved out. And I guess the land was. That you know, people talk about the highest and best use of land, which is really how many dollars you can squeeze out of it. <laughs> Me being, being being cynical, um, but I guess the real estate was more valuable um, for that. So, um, so that was the first of um, that was the that was the first of that kind of development you did, and that. I think of that as really a sort of a flagship development that's considered continued to grow and evolve. Yes, and and still, I mean, it took us forty. It was the first PD plan development in the city, uh, and we we were all, including the John Greasebaum, who was planning director at the time. We were trying to figure it out, and of course, I didn't know anything and was trying to learn. But uh, we're still, then we added regalia to it, which is where uh, region's uh, headquarters bank uh, is and the embassy suites, all of that we've been trying to put together, but it's taken over 40, 45 years. And we're still not really through because now we're re reimagining it. And, uh, but it has held up pretty well. And of course, that's one of the things that I was very interested in still am. Well, and you told me at one time, and I don't want to go too much down a rabbit hole, but you told me at one time that, you know, if you were doing it again, that you, there's definitely things you would you would do differently. Absolutely. Yeah. I think in terms of, especially I think in terms of, you know, connectivity and I mean, there's technically sidewalks. Yeah. I mean, there's sidewalks, which there aren't a lot of places, but it's not, uh, no. you know, having worked out there for many years. And, and some of that can, you know, you can certainly go in and retrofit and add, but um, I thought that was interesting because I agree. It's, it's a, it's a very attractive area. It's a nice area to work. Um, and um, it's not connected to the grid at all because of that, you know, sort of being tucked away behind the, I remember when I worked there, you had to sort of go out the back way and, go through yeah. that neighborhood to get, to get to lunch, which is, which is fine. It's beautiful back there. Right. So, so, um, so Rusty, um, I met you, um, you know, Sarah Newstock, who I know, you know, oh, yeah. um, we were, she and I were doing some work around a program called livable Memphis. Um, and it was, uh really kind of some of the first discussions about, you know, making the community more livable and quality of life in some, you know, 
bike and pedestrian access and green space and um, and the, the emphasis on, you know, community engagement and planning. And, you know, you and I met because this was, you know, you and a couple of other people were starting a local chapter of Urban Land Institute. I think we had some of the same um, some of the same interest and we had coffee and of course have known each other since then. But I, you know, I feel like, you know, Memphis for so, it's a, it's a cliche to say Memphis for so long was just urban sprawl, but it's a cliche because it's true. (laughs) And I, and I got the impression that you and some others, you know, Frank Ricks at some point said to yourselves, we have to do something different. And as a community, how it planned, how it's developed, how can I, how can we come together and change the dialogue? Um, and so tell, talk a little bit about your personal process. I know you went to, you know, you had a fellowship, went to University of Miami. Um, just tell me about that process of coming together with others to try to elevate sort of more progressive ideas about development that were happening in other places? Well, we, number one, I guess, is that we've really got an amazing collection of great people in the real estate development business here. I th- and I'm sure other places do too, but when I think of people like Frank and uh, Ron Bells and uh, Henry Turley and, I mean, you, Bob Loeb, you can go on and not stop. And these are folks that are basically competitors who uh, all share a very intense interest in Memphis being great, continuing to be great. And obviously it has a, a good number of, of problems to work on. But part of the problems are really the way we've built things and the way we've connected them or not connected them. Uh, one of the things that I despise uh, is the gargantuan streets that we have that didn't need to be gargantuan and that really split communities apart. But I'm thankful that we traffic flows pretty well. But you and I worked on trying to humanize uh, that, that street pattern, but some of what we, it was imposed on, on us in our developments uh, came out of regulations that the government had. So the government was operating in a silo. We were a little bit operating in a silo. Our designers were operating in a silo. And I think uh, John Dudas, uh, another key person back related to the Urban Land Institute, you know, we all really wanted to change, uh, break down those silos and get together and try because everybody that I've mentioned is a long-term stakeholder. It's not one of the great agonies in the real estate industry uh, from the standpoint of long-term stakeholders is there are a great many short-term stakeholders who just, they want to build it, sell it, and then they're off to someplace else to make a buck. But for those of us that try to build investment property where we actually own it for 50 or 100 years, uh, you take on more of the character of some of the great estates in London, uh, like the Grosvenor Estate that owns a big part of London, 
and they they get rents on it, but they've owned it for 250 years and they don't want it to to, to decline. They want to continue to invest in it. Um, so that mentality, long-term owner mentality, I think um, had a lot to do with probably pulling us together. Frank's been a great catalyst because he's he's really a good urban uh, uh, visionary as is Henry Turley and, and Ron Bells and his family. And uh, so it, anyway, we worked on it. But what happened to me that probably pushed me into a little bit different direction. We were, I was working on these large scale multi-use projects like Ridgeway Center, but at Ridgeway Center, we only had six to eight different uses. Had a hotel, had some retail, restaurant, office, uh, condominiums, uh, but uh, a mixture of about six uses. And, and I was at the stage of trying to figure out how to get 12 different uses mixed into a large-scale place. And about that time, I'd gotten involved with the Congress for New Urbanism, which uh, is sort of a think tank of how we go about building community from a, a design point of view. And they, and I got uh, I was able um, to be a part of, a, of, of something that is located at the University of Miami. It was the Knight Foundation that had the newspapers. They created a foundation to help their cities that had night-related night newspapers. Memphis didn't, but somehow or other, uh, I got to be in a class of 12 that for two years, we uh, occasionally went down to Miami, but we were really deeply studying urban growth patterns and connectivity, permeability, walkability. Um, and so I got to go, and you may remember, because I've, I've been such an enthusiast ever since, that I'd gone to to do a, what, what um, Leon Creer is a great designer, in Europe, had created a town with Prince Charles called Poundbury. And I went over and did a, a, a seminar work thing with Leon Creer uh, about how you design a block of uh, it really like, you know, you think about a neighborhood block divided or, or bounded by four streets. Well, what would that be like and how could that be? And so we're, do, we're doing the seminar in Poundbury and I'm totally blown away. I mean, it was the coolest possible place and it was entirely walkable in a way that we don't really have an example of yet, uh, hardly in, in, in the States. So that was about 19, that was about 2007, 2008, uh, and I've just totally, I mean, I was like a brand new young uh, little pony uh, ready to go again, uh, and but thinking about the urban situation in a new way. And so Urban Land Institute fit that pattern as well, and, and you know, it brought me into contact with you and Sarah 
and other uh, folks that were in other silos that, you know, that I hadn't been a part of. So, well, and if people don't know, I mean, I've ha- actually had, you know, Anna um, from Urban Land Institute on several months ago. But Urban Land Institute, you know, is an it's a really an international organization we of um, of real estate and other, and other stakeholders, um, kind of people that take a little bit of a more progressive view of real estate, not not progressive in the liberal way. Um, that we think of as political, but, um, but are, you know, interested in innovation, new ideas, mm-hmm. sustainability, and, um, and have a lot of programs for the public. So, um, you know, if people are interested, um, they can go to the Urban Land Institute website and look at, they have a lot of local programs, um, which are very interesting. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Brad, uh, Rusty Bloodworth of Boyle, and we're talking about, you know, really changes in real estate and development um, over his 54-year career. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, um, so Rusty, I got definitely got the impression from talking to you. I mean, and a lot of us, I think, um, have sort of, that was a two-year-long aha moment for you. Um, but um obviously was uh was transformational in your mm-hmm. thinking and um and and you're you know probably in your not only leadership of ULI but I, I I'm sure that it influenced you know Boyle and your and your work with the firm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely and and still is because we're we're doing really amazing things uh in Nashville at a faster pace than I guess, unfortunately, than Memphis, but then again, uh, Nashville probably will, you know, stub its toe moving as fast as it is. But but um, we have projects up there that have, it would have taken us two or three times as long down here to get to the stage of community uh, that we've been able to um, participate in up there, which is great. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. I want to talk a little more about Nashville in a minute, but, but, um, but the, I was just in Nashville last weekend. So I was reflecting on that a little bit. The, um, but what are the, um, sort of looking back on your career in, in terms of, you know, how we approached land use and development, what are the, can you call out a couple of, you know, major trends or a trajectory that you've seen um, up until now, because I feel like there's a tremendous amount of development going on now. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like we went from, you know, dense to completely sprawling. And now there's more emphasis on density, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just, you've seen so much. Um, and paid attention to land development much more than I have. You're absolutely right about those the trends, the three that you mentioned, from uh, sort of dense to very not dense, and then now a return to uh, having municipalities actually see some value in densification um, and also see the negative of too much sprawl and trying to keep up a a very extended network of streets and utilities. 
Uh, I think, you know, I feel like the last 20 years, there was a sort of a tip. It happened in Memphis where we did the Unified Development Code and, and that pulled together a lot of great folks to think about how can we code the community to get more of what we might want. And you were very involved in things like Broad Street um, and the, the kind of reinvention of uh, the existing urban fabric. And, and what's happening uh, through that change in uh, sort of a municipality actually thinking, well, maybe we really do need some density. And there's no question that density does have some advantages. It has some disadvantages, which we, you know, you, you struggle through these different uh, times and, and then you see, well, we've got there are a few externalities we weren't thinking about. But from the standpoint of, I think the biggest change, at least in, my, in the conversations that I overhear, is that there is a great appreciation for walkability, for being able to walk a community safely and vibrantly and not go through deserts uh, where, and, and, and there are, Congress for New Urbanism and Urban Land Institute have done a lot of thinking about why, you know, just one community work well and, and people, it becomes like Stephen Musan calls it, you know, beloved. We want beloved places that people love to be at, and that helps everybody, no matter what their who they are and how much money they make and, and it helps their neighborhood if they can have, if their neighborhood can be loved and it doesn't have to be, um, I don't know, cleaned up and slick uh, to be in that category. But there are offensive things that can do, that can happen uh, from a planning and real estate standpoint that really do hurt a neighborhood. Uh, and most of that is, to me, is a lack of mindfulness, thoughtfulness about what in the world you are doing when you put up a, a, a McDonald's or, you know, how does, you, so we're asking questions today that when I started back in the 60s, uh, nobody was really asking. And, and, and that was all about segregating uses and now we're into integrating uses. And, and, the, and from the big trends to me where we started out with single-use things, large areas of just totally single-use. And, and those are, are killers when they become obsolete. You can think about Winchester uh, zoned uh, just, I mean, it, we did it to ourselves. So it was too much of one thing. And, uh, and then we went through uh, a time where we began to mix the uses horizontally. Ridgeway Center is a pretty good example of that. And we're in an era now where we are at node points mixing vertically, which is a, a, maybe a thousand times more difficult than mixing horizontally, uh, very difficult with lenders, very difficult to actually work all the services. Um, but 
that does create a great vibrancy at a specific node point. And uh, CARE 4, Billy Orgel is going to be, you know, working on, on doing that. We are uh, trying to get to the point out in Kyerville at Schilling Farms where we will have enough overall density to support vertical, uh, more vertical integration of uses, though we are about to do, uh, we've just done some projects out there that are uh, vertically mixed. Well, I was going to ask about Schilling Farms because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, doesn't really go outside the parkways. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but Collierville's not, I've been by Schilling yeah. Farms, haven't been inside it. Yeah. But, but I guess that's um, sort of contrasting it to Ridgeway. Yes. Like what did you do differently because of, um, the way we're thinking about things, how is Schilling Farms conceived differently than Ridgeway? Well, it, it's a that's a great, interesting question because it's really at the divide point for me professionally. I had we had two choices. We could either continue to do what I call the little jewel boxes in the park where you do a building and you do a great job of landscaping around it, but you're not, you're not building a walkable zone. Uh, or we could do something much tighter and, and much more um, mixed together, like uh, Leon Creer likes to talk about, you know, how do you like your pizza? Do you, do you like it with lots of different things on it or just you want a cheese pizza? Well, I, it's much more fun and interesting and challenging to have a mixed, you know, lots of pepperoni and sausage and uh, peppers and mushrooms and the whole nine yards. And that's kind of the image that I, I really, from a real estate development ease, it's easier to do cheese pizzas, but it, it's way more rich to get a great pizza that's got many different flavors. So we decided to go that way. Uh, uh, Frank and uh, his partners were helpful to me back at that point because we went down to see some work at Disney uh, called Celebration, and a kind of community that the Disney group had done uh, and Frank's group had been involved. And we liked what we saw there and we we decided to go that direction, and uh, but we've held out the real core of the town. I mean, we're, it's 400 acres, uh, 430 acres, and so we've got we have thousands of people living there right now, uh, and we've got you know coffee shops and uh, places to eat and loads of headquarters uh, offices, corporate headquarters. So we have the employer. Uh, the place to work, and we've got, and we have a school, a great school, the Schilling Farms. Uh, I think it's middle school is tucked into the community, and we church. I need to go out there. So we've got lots of things, and we're getting ready to build. Lord willing, uh, I've been working on it for now, I think six years, um, and Frank's group is helping us with it. A, a, a district that we've got of fifty acres called the Water Tower District, 
because we've got an artifact water tower uh, on the property and we're going to build something that's as close to the Poundbury vision as I could figure out how to do. So I've been, this is my swan song. If we get it done, uh, but we're still waiting on HUD. And that's going to be, and that's going to be more vertical. It will, it'll be three store. Well, it's a combination of one story, two story and three story buildings. So it's not super dense, but it's on a block pattern that never has a block face longer than 400 feet. So this is a this creates a permeability uh, that no one has done, and it's expensive to do it this way. But it is going to be, I hope, a just great place uh, to live, and it's it's not inside of the core that we've been. We have 35 acres for sort of the big node. Uh, that I won't probably get to see in my lifetime develop. But we've been working our way toward that node. And uh, and that, so anyway, it's, it's exciting to work on it. I just I hope need, I can I, see you. I need to go out there and you need to give me a tour. Oh, sometime. I'd love to do that. And we'll have a coffee at the little Carrington coffee shop. You know what? We need to make a day because I yeah. really have never been even in the entrance. I mean, I know about this it. It's a little pitiful, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to help you out. <laughs> I know I'm the I'm the ultimate urban snob. Um, so the um, so there has been a lot. Of course, I live in the heart of Midtown. Um, and there's been a tremendous amount of, you know, development over the last several years. And honestly, you know, as an urban person, I've been happy to see it. Sure. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've told someone recently, you know, if I climbed up on my roof, I could probably see, you know, six or seven new apartment buildings mm-hmm. that have gone up or are going up. And because I live right near Overton Square. So it's there's a ton. Um, and of course, there's in the 20 years before that, there was nothing. Right. There was, you know, just vacant lots or in some cases, you know, boarded up buildings on key intersections. And um, and so, like I said, on a lot. And, and part of that is because there's been I think a big part of that was some incentives that were developed for multifamily housing to sort of stimulate that. And, you know, property values have, have gone up a little bit. And so it's a a lot of those developments wouldn't have worked financially for a long time. Um, That's what I've heard from people in the industry. And so on some level, you know, I'm happy to see it because I'm an urban person, but, um, but it's, you know, prices are really going up and Midtown's always had a lot of income diversity mm-hmm. and that's, that's, you know, that is going away because not only are these new um, buildings going up, but other buildings like those beautiful apartment buildings are on across from Overton park, which were, you know, students live there where all those buildings are being spiffed up with new kitchens and those are getting existing housings, getting more expensive. Right. And, you know, I have mixed, because of you know, I've worked so much around you know equity livability. I have very mixed feelings about all of this, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't know how we 
I don't think there's any danger in us becoming a Nashville, but but I struggle with how we can manage that. Um, how we can manage that to get the urban, get get more density, get more urbanization without um, people being priced out of the neighborhoods they live in. Mm-hmm. And that that is going to be a problem in these zones that really have attracted a lot of development. There's no question, but that is, you know, I think part of uh, part of the reason we're seeing what we've seen on the uh, activity level is partially related to the fact that our codes now actually want this to happen and are trying to to uh, help facilitate, make it easy to do something that's very clever, very good. And I've seen some great. Uh, we we go to. Uh, usually every Saturday to the little um, market at, uh, at Congo. Um, I never sess my farmer's market. I never see you or maybe I have, but I think maybe I have seen you once, but okay. uh, we, we have our little people and, you know, we zoom in and then we zoom out, but, but I've noticed on the street and I can't remember which one it is. It's really nicely done. Um, uh, either townhouses or multifamily that's on the street that comes off a uh, parkway to go up to the market. For me, I go, I come from my house, go down park, hit the parkway or airways and, and sneak in uh, from that direction. But it, it, it's, and it's most of it that I've seen has been very nicely contemporary and uh, nice scale and I know that it is helping, uh, you know, bring vitality into that immediate zone. But the, the other side of it is, it is probably raising values a little bit. A lot. Yeah. And that, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. So there, you go through Orange Mound, uh, right, as you're leaving airways coming over the tracks, and you realize there's so many now vacant plots where the houses have been taken down and um, and there is an opportunity for redevelopment of, 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 of hopefully affordable, but it, they're not going to be as cheap as the rents uh, on places where the landlord is doing basically no maintenance. Right. Yeah. So no. it's a dilemma. It is a dilemma. It is a dilemma. Something I struggle with. So last question, Rusty. Okay. And we talked about this a minute ago. So um, I was looking at the Boyle website and and mm-hmm. you're, you're doing even more in Nashville than you are here. And of course, Nashville is booming real estate wise. And, and I guess you sort of alluded to the fact that... Um, you know, there were differences in developing there um, and maybe it's easier to develop and um, elaborate on that a little, but I'm just curious as to, and then also, and I guess this is a a multi-part question, unfortunately, you know, people do worry we're going to become the next Nashville and um, I don't know if I see that, but, um, but you spent a lot of time at both places. So what are your observations? Well, uh, you know, it is, uh, I've never in my career 
seen really anything like what happened. It's really been after the great crash that we had in 2008. Um, we went into Nashville. We'd wanted to go to Nashville for a very long time, but we went in about 20 years ago, set up an office, and, uh, and things were moving along at a kind of a normal pace that I would say would be similar to what we've seen. But there's sort of a convergence of probably both national attractiveness to Nashville from a national viewpoint for people moving there. That is a combination of the strange mixture uh, that kind of was at the foundation for this boom. And uh, it has gotten a tremendous amount of investment brought in outside capital, inside capital, uh, great opportunities. Uh, but um, they have they have phenomenal growth problems in terms of particularly on the transportation side. Um, and and they have people uh, coming from all over the place because it's the place, you know, a great place to be. I think that Memphis has shifted. I can see sort of a, and, and maybe I would, I don't know who I would credit, but there are a lot of people to credit, but there's no question that Memphis has become more of a place to come for young people than it was 20 years ago. And some people are leaving Nashville to come to Memphis because if you think about affordability, the situation in Nashville is just almost insane because the value increase, uh, you've really got to make a great deal of money. It's sort of like being in California. Uh, and we've got, uh, we, have, we have community development, we have projects, downtown Nashville, Brentwood, Franklin. So we sort of stair step away from the core. Uh, they're all doing very well. And there is a, there's a great mixture in the projects of now with reinvention in these in places like Brentwood. We, we went in and bought a, a very significant uh, older property, office property, and we were trying to reinvent it, brought in a hotel, brought in little small retail shops, made a little Main Street, and that's become a wonderful place to work. Before it was kind of, you know, not such a great place to work, but now we've got all these services. Um, however, if you're at rush hour, you know, I mean, I don't know you. So you have these two problems that seem pretty severe. You have very high pricing uh, to live there and you have to be very clever about how you move around because you, you can get stuck and not be able to move at all for you know, 45 minutes if you're in Green Hills, which is probably one of the hottest retail locations, but got some transportation problems. Uh, we don't have that. You know, we, we have a, a city that actually moves very well. We've had very thoughtful transportation engineers, a little aggressive on asphalt, but, uh, you know, the network, the quarter, the Part of its terrain, but you know, we we have a better grid, macro grid, and um, 
So I don't, I'm not worried about us becoming like Nashville because I don't think there's any way we can duplicate exactly what, what's driving it. But I also don't think, I think Nashville reminds me more of Atlanta than it does a lot of other cities now. It didn't, it wasn't this way a decade ago. Now it's like Atlanta, cranes are everywhere. And this usually means in the real estate industry, trouble is a brewing, um, but hopefully it, it won't hurt any of those that are invested there now like us. But I do think that um, you can't continue this, this, this escalation. It's actually, in some ways, it's very difficult to, to develop up there from a code standpoint. On the other side, they have not been afraid of multifamily. Uh, we've had communities here, uh, Germantown, Kyerville, others, that really, really, really don't. I want know that's just that, that's depressing, and uh, and it's it's hard to get the vibrancy, and it's also hard to, to have people have a place that they can live so that they can work. In uh, the in the shop that you want you want to have on your main street, well, you know where are they going to live? Well, up there they've they've been uh, they've been they've embraced it, and but then you have got a lot of of um, I, I don't want to characterize it negatively too negatively, but they're doing some things on the environmental front that I think are just killing the ability to really create a great beloved place, which is a strange thing to say. They're doing something with the way they do their uh, drainage on their streets that is just, just unbelievably, you know, I would have fought hard here in town to avoid uh, that tendency for some, uh, for a municipal uh, department in a municipality to overwork one deal that then basically just ruins the street. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not being clear about this, but basically you're creating a 25 foot deep hole right on the edge of the curb that's maybe uh, 45 feet long and you're filling it with gravel and you're, but now you can't grow you know, we can't, I mean, it's just not good. At least I haven't been able to get comfortable with it. So it's a, it's a, it's a water solution that doesn't meet any other criteria. Really. Right. And it's one that Andreas Duani and, and a few of his comrades would, would say not really nice, not nice things about. <laughs> so, and I'm well, not saying either. Well, and I don't, I, I agree with you about, um, I don't see Memphis becoming like Nashville necessarily. Although, you know, for a long time, there was no outside capital coming in here at all. Mm-hmm. And I just think people couldn't make money. And um, I mean, you would know better than me, but that was sort of my sense that if the deals don't work, then people, but that seems to be changing. There are, there are more, more national money coming in and Mm -hmm. um, you are seeing more, you know, bigger projects. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly inside the loop. Yeah. Uh, A lot of activity, uh, good activity and outside the loop. 
uh, you know, I don't I don't think it's very robust, but maybe uh, inside the loop's time it come. Well, I would like to see there be more multifamily in, I mean, this is a question for another day, but, yeah. you know, housing, housing, especially for, you know, people at all stages in life. Right. And, you know, multifamily is just part of that mix. And, um, and the, and of course, a place like Germantown, which is essentially built out, how do you grow the tax base? Um, if you don't really have any more, you know, land to build houses on. I mean, they're for sure challenged with that. But the, um, but you know, you need a variety of housing styles for people. Um, and I just think it's ultimately the places aren't as interesting if you don't have, if you can't, if you don't have a lot of the dynamic, the dynamism that you have been referencing. Right. Okay. Well, Rusty, this has been super interesting. A lot of fun. And um, and I look forward to, yeah, seeing uh, that Schilling Farms tour and okay, seeing you in person. Let's do it. So, so you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. I'm Emily Trenum, the host, and I've been talking to Rusty Bloodworth, who's been working 54 years at Boyle Companies, which is a long time and established, very well-respected real estate firm. We've been talking about a lot of different things related to how developments changed over the years and some of the projects Rusty's firm's worked on. So it's been a great discussion. So thanks for coming on, Rusty. All right. Thanks, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.